The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. Please stand for a reading from Philippians, selected verses from chapters 1, 4, and 2. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. Day. 
It's our privilege this morning to have a guest preacher in our pulpit. We are excited to welcome Ralph Cunnington to the pulpit this morning. And if you have not met Ralph before, I'll go ahead and warn you, you're going to notice that he sounds a little bit different. Uh, he, uh, he ain't from around here, as we say. You probably don't say that. I don't say it much either. But he is from the United Kingdom. Now, we are excited to have Ralph with us this morning. And you may wonder, how did our church get connected to this random British pastor, seemingly? We have had the joy of partnering with Ralph and his church, City Church Manchester, for a number of years now. And that relationship is the fruit of something called the UK Partnership. If you've not heard about the UK partnership, our own Frank Hitchings was instrumental in its founding, and it exists to connect confessionally reformed congregations from the United States, like us, to indigenous reformed church planners in the United Kingdom, like Ralph. And the goal of the partnership is reciprocal two-way resourcing. And I think Frank would want me to say that we have gotten, I think you're about to experience it actually, the far better of this deal. Whatever we have given as a part of the partnership, we have received so much more from the church planters that we are partnered with over in the United Kingdom. But we are partnered with them for reciprocal resourcing, encouragement, and growth for God's glory and the good of the church. And we have our annual meeting this week. So Frank and I will be heading up to Charlotte. Uh, Ralph will also be going up. And that's why he has flown over across the pond to join us to go to that annual meeting. And he was gracious enough to agree to come preach for us this morning as well. So we're excited to have him. You can see all of his bio information there, so I won't read it for you. I'm just going to welcome Ralph to the pulpit and have him come bring God's word to us. Welcome, Ralph. Great. Thank you so much, Will. And it is wonderful to be back. I was actually here, uh, sat on the back row just there, a mere uh, two and a half months ago, uh, and it was swelteringly hot. And now, behold, I have brought the Manchester weather with me. You'll never have me back. Uh, Speaking of having me back, uh, this is actually the third time that I've been preaching uh, at Lookout Mountain. This fell out of your Bible. It might be your notes. You might be looking for those in a moment. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's notes from another one. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, That's fine. Uh, So this is my third time. And uh, what was I saying? Three passages. Next time, uh, four passages. You're never going to have me back for a tenth time, are you? Um, Let me pray for us, and then let's turn to look at the book of Philippians. Gracious God, thank you that you speak to us. And you speak to us today in our ever-changing world through your unchanging word. Lord Jesus, you are our rock. You are our solid foundation, and we look to you as the foundation of our partnership. For your glory and our good, we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, just as Frank was looking after me with my notes, I still remember the first time I came here to Lookout Mountain. I flew into Chattanooga. Uh, Frank picked me up in his truck. I was living the American dream, uh, driving in a truck. Um, But it was the last stop on quite a long trip, and by that point in time, I'd lost my voice. So as we got to the foot of the mountain, Frank stopped for me at Walgreens and picked up some throat sweets so that I could actually speak when I was with you. And that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship between me and Frank, but also between City Church and Lookout Mountain Press, between our people and your people. 
like Will said, I'm over this week for the UK partnership meeting happening in Charlotte. We're heading over there this afternoon. And what I wanted to do with you this morning was to take some time out to share with you about what gospel partnership, the sort of partnership that Lookout Mountain Press is involved in. I want to share what that partnership looks like in the Bible. What's it look like in the Bible? I want to celebrate the partnership that we already have with you. There is lots to celebrate about it. But I also want to suggest what it might look like for our churches, for, for Lookout Mountain and for City Church, as we move forwards. Uh, so look at the passage that we just had read for us. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he planted many, many years ago. The planting of that church is recorded in Acts chapter 16. The first believers in Philippi, according to Acts chapter 16, uh, were Philippi's equivalent of Ralph Lauren, uh, Britney Spears, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It was an incredibly diverse bunch of new believers, but they had this one thing in common. Their lives had been utterly transformed by the gospel. And now, they were key gospel workers with the Apostle Paul. Uh, just look at what Paul writes in verses three to five of chapter one. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now notice, look down there, notice why he prays with such joy. It was because of their partnership in the gospel. Now that word translated partnership is a Greek word, the Greek word koinonia. And in the first century, it was used to describe two different relationships aside from this gospel partnership here. Relationship one, marriage. Relationship two, business partnership. And you might be thinking, well, well, what on earth do those two relationships have in common? Well, well think about it. Uh, think about what happens when someone gets married. There was a wedding here only yesterday in the sanctuary. Uh, and what happened? Well, at a wedding, the, the bride and groom, they, they stand up the front of the church together and they pledge that their futures will be the same. That they pull their money, they pull their stuff, they say, where you go, I will go also. I'm committed to you. That, that's what happens at a wedding. So what about a business partnership? when two bakers or, or two attorneys decide to go into partnership together, what is happening at that moment? What are they doing? Well, they're pledging that their futures will be the same. They are committing themselves to a shared aim, that they are pooling their resources and stuff, and they're saying, if it goes well for you, then it will go well for me. If it goes badly for you, we go down together. 
Now, do you see what biblical partnership is? It is a self-sacrificial commitment to a shared aim. And that is what church is all about. You know, we're a bit like a Navy SEAL team on a mission together to rescue hostages. You ever thought of yourself like that? You look like Navy SEALs. We have a common aim, don't we? To reach the lost for Christ. We are in it together. We are one team. And we are willing to go all in. We're willing to pay the ultimate price if necessary because we know the aim is worth it. We're partners. Now that is true within churches, but it is also true between local churches. And that is what Paul has in mind here in Philippians chapter one. And that is what we're gonna focus on this morning. And in his letter, Paul highlights three aspects, three parts of genuine gospel partnership. Begins with three Ps, okay? Firstly, partnership involves prayer. Secondly, it involves pounds. Humor me on this. Pounds as a currency rather than pounds as weight. And then thirdly, it involves partnership in people. So let's start with partnership in prayer. Look at verses 9 to 11 of chapter 1. I wonder, did you watch the Queen's funeral last month? Give me a nod if you've watched the Queen's funeral, okay? I know she's not your Queen anymore, uh, but she's still a great lady. And, and it was a wonderful service, wasn't that? It's incredible. She, she chose the hymn, she chose the readings, and you could just see the gospel throughout the service. But one of the things that fascinated me watching was as you faced the front, on the right... They'd seated all of the world leaders in rows going back and back and back and back. And did you notice where your president was? Controversially, he was on the 14th row behind all the European leaders and even the leaders of the Commonwealth. Shock, horror. (laughs) It's all a bit silly. But when I saw that, it got me thinking. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, then you have a front row seat. Not at the funeral of a dead British monarch, but in the throne room of the one that she herself worshipped as king. You have direct, immediate, intimate access to the very God who made the universe every single time that you pray. And prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Paul understood that. He grasped that. That's why he was constant and consistent in his prayers for his gospel partners. Take a look at verse 3. Paul prayed all the time for all all his gospel partners because he knew that prayer moves the hand that moves the world. But but take a look at the content of his prayer. It's there in verses 9 to 11. And notice how gospel-saturated his prayer was. He wants the Philippians' love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Verse 9. He's talking about the love that they have for God and the love that they have for each other. And notice how that love flows 
out of their knowledge of God. I think we tend to have quite a sentimental view of love. You know, it's all about emotions and feelings. It kind of comes and goes. It, it blows into the room like wind and then out again before you know it. But the love that Paul's talking about here is very different. It is constant and it is fixed. It's like the love between a husband and a wife who've been married for many, many years. My wife Anna and I, we're going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary next July. Now, I need to be honest with you. Every time that Anna walks into the room, I don't go weak at the knees anymore like I used to when we first started dating. To be honest, that's quite a relief because it would be very embarrassing in church every time I got up to preach if I looked out and <laughs> collapsed. But here's the thing. My love for her has grown both in depth and reach. Why? Because each year I've gotten to know her more deeply and gotten to love her more dearly. And that is the sort of love that Paul is talking about here. Love that grows in knowledge and discernment. That means that it is a love that changes us. Paul wants the Philippians to be shaped and formed by their experience of God's love for them. You see, love for God goes together with knowledge of God, goes together with obedience to God. True love changes someone. Anna's love for me makes me want to be a better husband. My children's love for me makes me want to be a better dad. And that is the sort of love that Paul is praying for. He's praying that they might have an experience and a knowledge of God's love that utterly transforms them and makes them ready to meet Christ on the last day. Verse 10. So let me ask you, do you give your time to praying those things for yourself, for each other, for your gospel partners over in Manchester and throughout the rest of the world? It's what we need more than anything else. When City Church was planted eight years ago, we, we had four PCA churches partnering with us through the UK partnership. Now, now, those churches gave money, and without that money, we wouldn't have been able to get started. But even more significantly, I did a count, and I think we had close to 10,000 believers over here on this side of the Atlantic praying for us right from the start. And we see miracle after miracle after miracle. We've seen conversions. We've had over 30 believer baptisms in that time. We've seen lives transformed for Christ. We've seen people head off to plant and resource churches in Manchester and throughout the northwest of England. We've seen a church planting movement, the Northern Gospel Project, get launched. And we've been protected. We've been protected from spiritual attack, from, from moral failure. Those are answers to your prayers for us. So I want to say thank you to you today. And I want to urge you to keep on praying. Next up. 
partnership involves pounds. Now, I know I should say dollars, okay? But I, I deal in pounds, and, and it works with alliteration, okay? <laughs> well, we see the importance of financial partnership right there in chapter 4, right at the end of the letter. Just look at that with me. Verse 10. Paul rejoices that the church had renewed their financial concern for him. He remembers in verse 15 how the church stood out among all the churches in their financial generosity. They sent him financial aid, verse 16, again and again. And notice how this was an act of worship. Look at how Paul describes the gifts they gave in verse 18. He says, they are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Friends, this is the language of temple worship. Many Christians hear that word worship and they think, well, it's all about singing on a Sunday. Other Christians, they say, well, well, that's not right. Actually, if you look at Romans chapter 12, we discover there that the whole of our lives should be worship. That's what worship is. But you know, the Bible says that what we do with our money what we do with our cash in the bank, that especially is worship. Listen to Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a well-known verse, isn't it? And I think we tend to hear that, and what we tend to hear is... Jesus is saying, you will put your treasure where your heart is. So if you want a diagnostic about where your heart is, look at where your money is because that is where your heart is. Now that is entirely true. If you do want to know where your heart is, look at where you put your money. But that is actually not what Jesus is saying here. It's actually the reverse of that. He's saying, where we put our money, our treasure, there our heart will follow also. Our heart follows our money. That's so true, isn't it? I was at Lookout Mountain Golf Club only the other day. I see it's kind of making progress. You're all missing your golf and having to go down the mountain to play golf. Now just imagine, okay, imagine that you were one of the people who invested money into the golf course. Imagine you put in $100,000 to help do the new greens. I promise you, if you put that amount of money in, you'll be caring much more than I do about that golf course on Lookout Mountain. Imagine you got home from church today and you decided to spend $10,000 booking a family holiday to Disney World Orlando. I promise you, for the next few months, you are going to be thinking a huge amount about Disney World and exactly what rides you're going to take the kids and grandkids on. Now imagine if you give 10% of your income to look at Mountain Press. I promise you, you'll be thinking far more about this church and far more about its mission. Giving financially, it is an act of worship. It it redirects our heart, either to something that is healthy and God-glorifying, or else it redirects it to something which is not. Which is why as a church, 
you are committed to giving generously to mission around the world. You know, your financial generosity enabled City Church to get planted eight years ago. It enabled us to grow our family's outreach ministry because you helped us employ a family's worker. It enabled us to expand our digital outreach, which is so important in a city like Manchester. It enabled us to plant Trinity Church in Prestwich two years ago, sending out Mount Clark, who came and spent time here with you. Your generosity helped Christ Central Church in Leeds get planted. It helped Christ Church Glasgow get planted. And I realize that's barely scratching the surface of your mission's generosity. You, you are literally giving yourselves away around the world as an act of worship. Because you are in this gospel work together with us. One thing with one self-sacrificial commitment to a shared aim. But do you need to cut back? I mean, a financial crisis is looming, isn't it? Energy prices are skyrocketing. Inflation is soaring. And you have an $18 million building project that you're trying to fundraise for. Surely, surely now is the time to ease up a little bit on mission giving. I mean, to to look after things back here on the mountain rather than just giving it all away? I think we tend to think of church finances as a zero-sum game. You come across that? You've got some financial people here. You know what a zero-sum game is, yeah? A zero-sum game is, is where all the numbers equal out. So, so imagine, look at our mountain prayers. They give $10,000 to support Christ Church Glasgow. In, in a zero-sum game, that will mean that Lookout Mountain are $10,000 poorer and Christchurch Glasgow are $10,000 richer. That's a zero-sum game. Now, zero-sum games virtually never exist in the real world and they never, ever, ever exist in the church. Do you want to know why? Well, look at verse 19, chapter 4. And my God will meet every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, all the money we have, every last cent, it's not ours. It's his. As Psalm 50 tells us, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. His resources are limitless. He can use your giving away of $100,000 to multiply ministry throughout the United Kingdom at the same time as meeting all of your needs and multiplying your outreach and ministry here on the mountain. He can do it. As we give generously, friends, it is a win win for the kingdom of God and for our shared gospel aim. Finally, Gospel partnership involves sacrificially giving people. Now this, this is the hard, hard part of it. Take a look at chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Uh, Here Paul recalls how he and the church in Philippi have been engaged in giving people to one another's ministries. So, So Paul, verse 19, Paul says he wants to send Timothy to Philippi soon. 
Uh, Now, Timothy was Paul's apprentice. He he was a church pastor, a church planter. He was someone who Paul absolutely loved. Look at verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He loved him. But Paul wanted to give Timothy to the Philippians for a time so that, verse 23, he could serve alongside them. You know, I think, I think sometimes there is an unspoken assumption in churches that if you have someone who is who's really, really godly and really, really gifted, then what's going to happen is they're going to remain at your church and they're going to eventually become your senior pastor. That's, that's what will happen if someone's really godly and really gifted. But if someone is a bit odd, if they're a little bit quirky, if they're one of those difficult people, then then what you're going to do is you're going to send them on mission or send them to plant a church. You know, Paul would have none of that. When he gave people in mission, he gave his very best. He gave those who were dearest to him. And did you notice how in our passage... The giving of people was reciprocal. Look at verses 25 to 30. The church in Philippi had sent out one of their own best, Epaphroditus, to look after Paul while he was in prison. Can you feel, can you smell the intensity of the language here in these verses? Both Paul and the church in Philippi, they absolutely loved Epaphroditus. It was a real sacrifice for them to send him to Paul. And Epaphroditus, he almost paid the ultimate price. Look down, verse 30, he got sick and he nearly died for the work of Christ. You know, true gospel partnership, it involves giving away people in a way that hurts. That is what it is to give our lives away around the world. And you know something of that as a church, don't you? You gave Jared Huffman and his family away to plant Restoration Southside back in 2018. But before that, you gave away Robbie and Lydia Sweet to go and be involved in pastoral ministry in Scotland. You, you gave Holly Tolson away to go and do ministry in London. You gave Emma Kate Mooney away to go and do ministry in Cardiff. And we know what it is to send people to you. We sent Malk and Judy and Lila Clark to you. And we're looking to send more interns to you in the future. That is hard. That hurts. But friends, it is worth it. Because we are in gospel partnership together. One team. But what enables us to give like that? We'll take a look again at chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, Recently I was reading a book. And in the book it references Shel Silverstein's children's picture book classic, The Giving Tree. Do Do you know that book? Yeah, if you don't, let me tell, I'll retell the story very quickly, okay? It's all about, it's simple, it's all about a tree and a boy. Okay? And when the boy is young, the tree gives her leaves to him to make a crown. 
gives her branches to him to climb on, gives her apples to him to eat. And the boy loved the tree, and the tree was happy. But as time goes on, the boy grows up to be a young man. His desires change. Now what he wants is money and things. So the tree gives her apples to him to sell. And he makes lots of money. And the tree was happy. The years go by and the man wants a house to raise a family in. And so the tree offers him her branches to build a house. And the tree was happy. As the man reached middle age, he'd become bored with life. He, he wants to take up a pastime. And so the tree, loving the boy, gave her trunk to him so that he can build a boat and sail off into the sunset. And he sails, and the tree was happy. And the tree is left as a stump. Then, as the boy was nearing the end of his life, he returns to the tree worn out. All he wants to do is rest. And so the tree, loving the boy, lets him lie on its stump. And the tree was happy. Well, what do you think about that? It is simultaneously both beautiful and utterly shocking. It's beautiful because of the tree's wonderful sacrificial love, but it's shocking because of the boy's total and utter selfishness. But it reminds us that to love, to really, really love someone, is to give yourself away for them. The Bible says that God is love. And it continues, this is how God showed his love among us. He gave his one and only son so that the world might live. Friends, just like the little boy in Silverstein's story, by nature, we are utterly self-obsessed. We take and take and take and want to be God of our own lives. And just like the tree, out of his love for us, God gives and gives and gives, and eventually he gave the ultimate gift, his own dear son Jesus, dying in our place to take the punishment that we deserve for living our lives like the little boy in that story. It is the most true and perfect love in the universe. It is the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus that Philippians 4 verse 19 talks about. Have you put your trust in that? Have you received that gift for yourself? Well, if you have, it will enable you as a Christian to give. Because God has already given himself away for us in Jesus. We, we are free to give generously. Because he has showered his unconditional love upon us. We can shower our unconditional love upon others. We can do it for the sake of them and for his glory. Friends, that is why City Church Manchester, that is why Lookout Mountain Prayers are engaged in generous gospel partnership. 
because God has already given himself away for us. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you, you are the ultimate gift. Heavenly Father, you are the ultimate giver. Thank you for the joy and privilege it is to be in gospel partnership together. Thank you that we get the privilege of giving away what wasn't ours in the first place to serve that shared aim that is the most glorious mission in the universe, your great commission. Oh Lord, would you uphold us in that? Would you move our hearts? Would you transform our minds that we might give and give and give because we have received and received from you. Amen.